we are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kareen. Joining me for this episode is Stevie Grieve. Stevie is a UEFA coach currently working in Burlington Youth Soccer Club in Canada. He's also a coach educator and a match analyst. He's got a brilliant show on, on Vimeo if you check it out from his time on Indian TV called Mind Game. And he's just started his new tactical teacher e-learning course which is on onsidesoccerconsulting.com a tactical course for coaches to get better at that side of the game so really excited to get Stevie on the podcast uh, for two reasons really firstly his knowledge and his insight on the tactical side of the game he kindly volunteered his time for this podcast obviously but also uh, to do a webinar with the modern soccer coach mentorship group on they're currently working on their game models this month and trying to progress their philosophies and their communication styles into a system of play and and stevie is going to give them some help in that there so it's a busy morning for him i really appreciate him doing that there but second reason was that he's a very very opinionated guy on social media i always enjoy uh, seeing his tweets and his interactions with people Uh, he's very very passionate about the side of the game and obviously with a lot of people they have strong strong views on social media social media is something that I'm very very big on but the side of it that I wanted to to ask him about was the solution side almost is like there's a lot of people that make a lot of noise on social media about this isn't right and this isn't right and and Stevie obviously has opinions on that but I wanted to see you know he's, he's not a moaner or a complainer he's he's very much about driving the profession forward and driving the coaching community forward so I wanted to pick his brain on the best ways to do that without spending $10,000 on a course and different levels. What can a high school coach do to get better? What can a college coach who's only got X amount of window to get better and see what Stevie's thoughts were that. So as expected, uh, he delivers on this here podcast at a high level. His knowledge of the game is unbelievable. But the way he looks at how we are progressing the game tactically uh, for me is quite refreshing and very 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 interesting so hope you enjoy please please i always say it but please leave us a review on 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 the bottom of the the, the apple page it means a lot uh, to get the reviews keep the podcast going and and stepping up the coverage of it thank you for your support everything you do shoot a little tweet out give stevie a mention on twitter all that good stuff thanks very much and enjoy Stevie, thanks very much for joining me this morning for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Cheers for inviting me. Talk a little bit about this new this new program you have. So it's the Tactical Teacher E-Learning course. Yeah, so basically what it is, it's, it's four modules. One's an introduction to creating a base, base positional system, which um, a lot of people will go online and see the Guardiola's bunch of uh, lines in a field and, and 
and see that it's, it's revolutionary. It's, it's not. It's just a template for organising your players better. So we, we have a, a module for using that properly, but using in-depth examples about how to position yourself um, within the context of your own team, within the context of the zonal organisation, within the context of the opposition block. So there's I think there's like 50, 54 slides, something like that within it of detail. There's videos, there's diagrams, there's explanations, there's tasks. So it's quite in-depth. There's Obviously, there's four of those modules. So there's one for... Additional attacking concepts, there's one for zonal defending with compactness, and then there's one for pressing. So the pressing one's quite in-depth, and there's a lot of different variations to it, so I think a lot of people kind of miss out the detail. So um, the reason, actually, it's, it's funny, like the, the reason I made it is when I was working in India, we did a lot of analysis-based tasks, and we could see the coaches growing quite a lot from it. So from that perspective, it was like, right, there's something here. And then when I was doing the B and the A licence, um, there was a boy in the course called Stevie Clark who during one of the courses or one of the tasks said to me, you see that really quickly, don't you? Mm. And I was like, well, yeah, because I'm forced to every day. And he was like, see, it would take me a while to look at that and then figure it out. And then I thought to myself, I've only learned to do this through practicing and breaking down to concepts. So I can teach other people how to do it. So why not just make something for everybody that everybody can do it? So um, we took kind of concepts from Mind Game and, some of the things I've done in coach education with the staff in India and things I've done as a consultant and then just made the course. Um, it evolved over time. I deleted quite a lot of stuff. I edited quite a lot of stuff. Um, I found better clips of things to try and show. So um, it's going really well. I think the, the feedback so far has been fantastic. And I've already started making a level two because um, there needs to be more depth. And, and for, for, in my opinion, I think level one and level two coaching courses are so basic that the things that you learn on those courses, you could just read on YouTube or some, somewhere on Google. So why are we still doing really basic things when you've got free access to them? So for me, coach education has to evolve and, and to give people higher level but easy to explain information is an absolute necessary thing. And that's what I've tried to do. In your social media, you've been pretty harsh on, on the TV analysis side of you know, the tactics. Do you, do you think it's a problem that they're they're catering for an audience, or do you think that they're simply just not not capable of providing enough depth? It's a difficult one because I would say that the market five years ago was about five percent of the viewership, mm -hmm. and now the market is probably half the viewership because there's more people given more access to more things and more people who understand the game to a better level because of the internet. So the guys that are going on and doing the analysis, they're not analysts. They're, they're guys who've played the game and have shown some concepts. Now, I know for a fact, because I've spoken to people working production teams, that in some analysis segments, um, the guy talking over them has not even seen it. Somebody in the background's done it. So you've got maybe somebody like me who can do the analysis, who's a runner or who's a production assistant working with a graphic designer who's on the software, making it all and saying, we're going to highlight these things. And then it's given to somebody who who goes on, on the screen and talks about it, but they don't even understand the slight basics of it. So they're doing it, but they don't really know anything about it because they haven't created it. So with Mind Game, like I created everything because I understand it. So then I can explain everything in a really simple way. So I think that there's, there's a misconception among the guys that make the production decisions of what the audience is. And they still think that it's like, like my dad, for example, my dad who likes football and goes, oh, Alan Shearer knows what he's talking about. Alan Shearer's just reading off the back of the screen. He's telling you what you can already see. What's he adding to it? Uh -huh. well, so if he's not adding anything, what's the point of it? 
because you could just show the video and say, oh, this is really good. So why are we not looking to do it to a higher level and try and educate? And you're not going to turn anybody away. People are going to go, oh, well, actually, that's really good. And the more times it's done, the more it becomes the norm. And I think since I've, since I've moved to Canada, the level of analysis, the level of detail, they use data analytics on the screen every single show. Baseball stats are the guys striking at 0.247. I have no idea what that means, but everybody here knows what it means because it's been happening for so long. So if that's the norm, then we need to push it to become normal. Because if it's, if it's not normal, then people go, oh, that's a bit new, that's a bit fresh, that's a bit different, I'm not sure I like that. Mm. But once you jump over the barrier and you make it the norm, people then go looking for more information. So to me, it's it's absolutely necessary. Mm. One of my criticisms, I'm a big fan of Monday Night Football and Neville Carragher. I think it's it has moved the needle for me a little bit with conversations, but I think it's also had a negative effect that it's it's almost programmed some coaches to think that it's all right to sit in a studio and rip other coaches' work apart. Um, how, how do you think we can get better in the balance between critical analysis and then just criticism? I, th- I think I spit like if you go into British TV and British culture just now, it seems to be anything which is even slightly intellectual or even slightly intelligent is now shot down. There's like an anti-intellectualism to mm-hmm. most. So, and it's easier to criticise than it is to be constructive. So, for most people, the, it's easy in British culture to go, "Oh, that's rubbish." Can you do any better? No, but that's rubbish. So, people then they jump on that bandwagon. If we take somebody like Chris Sutton, he's perfect for British society of just wanting to be a wind-up merchant. Doesn't add anything, but will say some things to get a rise out of people, which is entertainment to most people. And it's funny. It's fine, but there's only so long that that lasts for. So I think because of the way that that happens, now, because people are are, are being rewarded and praised for giving an opinion, now everybody thinks that they should give an opinion, no matter how stupid the opinion is. And if there's 150 stupid people saying, oh, that's rubbish, and five really clever people, the clever people don't always comment on things. It's normally the stupid people. So without wanting to put it into a context, everybody's stupid and there's less clever people. That's life. There's there's only so many Stephen Hawkins. There's millions of Gary in the pub or Stevie in the pub. There's millions of them. So the, the, the masses are able to shut things down really quickly because they don't understand, because they don't want to understand. And that's, that's fine. You're not catering to these guys. So now you get into social media and people will go, well, that's rubbish. Well, why is it rubbish? Because I said so. It's my opinion. And now it's, it seems acceptable for people to say, that's my opinion. If I go in and I say something's, something's bad, I'll give you a solution to why it could be better. Because that's how I believe it. If, if I'm going to criticise someone, I've got a solution. There's a lot of things that I could criticise, but I don't because I don't have anything better to add to it. So there's there's no point in criticising something if you don't have a solution to it. So I'll find you well, it's going, that's rubbish, that's rubbish, that's rubbish, that's rubbish. Can you fix it? That's almost a... That's coaching. That's a microcosm of coaching with what we're programmed to do, Stevie. With go to go on a course, sit and watch, fix things, stand in and fix things, and become this trumpet blare and step into session, see something, fix it, step out again. How how do we change the way we're consuming coaching? Is it is it from doing courses like yourself? Is it from how does a coach take a different path without being wired to be like everyone else? I mean, I can only I can only speak for myself, but like. 
I would say I was entirely self-taught. I've spoken to certain people about certain things who have kind of pointed me in a little bit of a direction and I've just taken what I could from it and then figured loads of things out and then guided myself down a path that I, I never thought, never thought I'd get to the stage where I'm at. So um, I think that a lot of coaches, we're, we're brought up in a society where people are told to listen to people. And I think that there's a lot of people who will take on information because somebody else is in a higher position and just accept what they say. And I think that the people who go the furthest are the ones who question the most. And because they question it, they try and figure out better ways to do things. And because they figure out better ways to do things, they then evolve, they make themselves better, they make themselves slightly different. I think when you've, for example, if you've been a footballer and you've been coached for 18 years to coach and think and act in a certain way, it becomes really difficult to be creative. So if you haven't come from a, a, a really autocratic background, it makes it easier for you to be creative. And the more creative you become, the more uh, solutions to problems that you have. So I think like, from my point of view, I, I've had to be creative because if you work in Switzerland and you can't really use English so much, you have to figure out how to make practices which um, suit what your objectives are but without being able to tell people. So if you always work in an English-speaking society and you speak English, you don't have to be that creative. You can get away with doing a shape session and just telling everybody what to do. If you work in India, but you'd speak no Hindi, you have to figure out how to make that shape session work without you being able to talk. So then you have to start solving problems. And I think because people are not taking themselves out of their comfort zone and actually going and going, this is the best way to do something in England or Scotland, it's not necessarily even slightly productive to do it in Thailand or India or Canada. So then you have to start looking at what are the core roots of problems based on facts and actualities rather than uh, preconceived biases or things that you already think exist, which in a lot of cases they don't. Like we live in an ice hockey country and we have a lot of people saying, right, mark somebody. So in a football context, when somebody's been playing hockey and football for three years, they constantly man-mark. But we want them to defend zonally. But their habits are to man-mark because society says to man-mark. So then you have to teach them why. Why in this situation do you mark and why in this situation do you block? So you have to then figure out what the society is. And I think a lot of coaches will will skim the surface and they'll look they'll look for the session which gets them the win, that gets them the most wins. And it's not even about the sessions, it's about the process, it's about what your end objective is, it's about how to layer everything step by step. Like you're big on on team culture and um, creating attitude behaviours that you want from the players and making sure everybody buys into the team ethic and I think that's great. For me, like I don't I don't speak about it so much because I think um I, I think that that's not my skill set. My skill set is like doing different things. So when I'm working with players I'll I'll ingrain all these behaviours with them. But I don't speak about them publicly because I don't feel the, the confidence to do it. So um, it depends on the coaching as well. Like if you if you want a team full of dribblers, then you'll do loads of dribbling related stuff. But how do you turn the dribbling into something which becomes effective in a match? So I think like coaching is such a difficult such a difficult job, but it's also um, so in depth and so complex that a lot of people I don't want to say uh, are possibly lazy to it, but they don't realise the depth of complexity to it to make sure that everything happens as you want it. And the amount of coaches I've heard saying, I've already told you to do this. Mm. It's like, nobody does what they're told. People do what they think is best in that moment. Put that on a t-shirt, because that is, yeah, that's a, a complete mis misrepresentation of what coaching is. Um, just on that there, with, with people kind of not going deep enough then, uh, one of your quotes, I think last week you quoted 
folks still going on about the half space without using the opponent positioning as the main reference point will never understand how to use it effectively. Yeah. Can you can you explain that? Right. So the half space is a specific geographical location on the field. So if you split the field into into five vertical channels from left to right, it's zone two and four. So if you go left wing is one, left central midfield is two, central midfield is three, right central midfield is four, right wing is five. There are five channels, right? Let's say there's five. The half space refers to two and four. Now, people will go, oh, you need to stand the half space to get the ball. Ah, you do, but that's to give you a better um, view of the field and a better angle of attack. If you attack from zones one and five, which is the touch lines, you can't go left or right, so you have a 180-degree angle of the field. If you come into the channel, then you have a 360-degree of angles of attack while having a better view of the field because you can see what's behind you, you can see what's inside, you have a better view. From the middle, sometimes you have a bit of a, a, a view where you can only really see kind of 270 degrees you don't see what's directly behind you so from that angle you have lots of possibilities but if if the opponent are standing in the, in the zone where you can block forward passes you're standing in the wrong space or you're moving in the wrong space so if we look at the midfield line of four players in a 4-4-2 for example you would go right midfield and right central midfield stand in between and behind the two of them. Somebody has to be between and front of the two of them so you can connect them. The ball gets played across, say, for example, into an inverted left-back. So let's say it's Fabian Delph, because just now it's common. Fabian Delph will take it, will pass diagonally through the lines to David Silva, or vertically through the lines to David Silva, in the area of the half space, but specifically between and behind two players. So if we're just using lines on the field as a reference point, you're never going to get it. Never going to understand it because you need to move the block to open up a specific space. If you occupy the space between and behind two players of all four players along the midfield line, you put maybe the left back around the block on the line of the shoulder of the right midfielder, um, the left winger in the space between the right midfield and right central midfield, uh, maybe the centre forward between the two central midfielders and the block between um, the two centre backs and two central midfielders. You can maybe move the right side central midfielder in the gap between the left back, left central midfield, left midfield and... Uh, in that space of four. So to then get the players in a position where you tilt the opponent so you free up the space. On the opposite side, maybe your reference point is that specific vertical half space, if you want to go, I call it the channel. So when you're occupying that space, maybe the right back is in the half space and maybe the right winger is on the shoulder of the left back. So then you tilt them over by standing specifically in reference to the opponent's block while on the other side you stand in the half space. So until you understand this about positioning in relation to the opponent, it's never actually going to be beneficial to you because you're going to go stand there, but the player's like, I'm standing here, but I still can't do anything with the ball because she's in, or he's in the wrong place. So it's in relation to the space in the opponent block. We, me and you, we have, we have two teams playing against each other. We both have the same amount of space. If I can make the space bigger or create more space for somebody in a one-on-one or a 1v0, that player's going to become an effective player within the match. If we just tell them stand in that space and get the ball, but they're still pressed every time they get it, you haven't done it properly. So it's a really in-depth, complex thing, which people are trying to now simplify because you have to move the players in the block to gain space somewhere else. Otherwise, they're just going to sit in a block and we can go, well, we've got a left winger in half space, we've got the left central midfielder in half space, we've got the left centre back in half space. Why can I not pass through them? Because the players of the block are directly in front of the ball, blocking your access. So you need to play at a different, slightly different angle or a slightly different positional structure. Because one player standing in... And in Germany, they call the cover shadow. If you're standing, being screened, then the ball can't go through them. They're just going to make an interception. So you, you have to move to tilt them. 
It's not just about standing in a geographical location in the field, it's in relation to the opponent block. Tell people understand that and understand how to implement it properly, even within like a a 3v3 plus 3 or 3v3 plus 2 or 3v3 plus 4 or whatever. Until that's understood, it's never actually going to be effective for you. So until people get that bit right, then you're still going to be going, oh, why is it not working? Because you don't understand. So, and it's not just about that geographical location, like I've said about five times. We have to look more in depth. Where is the space and how do we exploit it? Using that area of the field for proper space and to improve circulation or to improve passing or positioning angles or penetration angles. That gives you a template, but it's then within the opponent block, which for me I call zonal organisation because it's within the spacing of the players, within the context of the field, which is why I use a 5x5 five five grid, which is also on, on the course. So it's it's something that people were, were kind of shooting down four or five years ago, maybe not even that, three years ago. I remember Tony Me going on Twitter going, what is a half space? Why is it not a whole space? And it's like, because it's the German definition of it. So... And how, now now people are going, oh, what is this new thing? It's not a new thing. It's just somewhere on the field that people were talking about five years ago that you shot down that now you want to try and embrace because you think that it's cool. Mm -hmm. Really before the information was there. Fads and trends, tactical trends. With, with the World Cup coming up, there's usually a system or a tactical theme that stands out. And obviously today it's... It's the it's Guardiola's. Everyone's everyone's raving about it. Uh, yeah. What do you think's coming up in in Russia in the summer? What would we expect? In twenty twelve, I, I wrote a bunch of books on like um, the four two three one because it was like a direct counter to four three three. So you play man for man almost in midfield. You can you can play everywhere. Then teams started going right. Well, according to four two three one, we'll kind of play three five two. So there was a little phase where teams were trying to play three five two. It went back to kind of. 442, 4231, whatever you want, 433. Guardiola's playing like a 2341. Germany can do it because they've got the players to do it, and I think probably Spain could do that if they wanted. I think what we'll see now is instead of like team collective things to do with formations, we'll see individual specific roles which will be adapted. So, like if we look at um, Bielsa's Marseille, they had um, Mendy overlapping and playing on outside on the left. And I think it was like Alessandrini playing inside of the left. like So one in, one out. On the right-hand side, they had the right-back inverted, which I think at the time was like Brice Jajaji and... Uh, I can't remember what it was. And Florian Tovan on the right. So you had one in, one out. The winger was extreme and the full-back was inside. Whereas on the other side, they had the full-back as extreme and the winger on the inside. So we might see individual player-specific roles change. Um, you might say, for example, if you look at David Silver's role for Man City just now, is to play in between the right midfielder and right central midfielder and just stand in that gap and manipulate the two of them to create as much space as you want or have some freedom for, for Leroy Sané. Whereas you look at Kevin De Bruyne's role, his job is to connect the game deeper on the right-hand side or use longer passes or attack spaces. So he's got more of a freer area, but to play between the wide zone and the channel. So I think that the changes will not be... Um, as collective as before, but I think they'll be very much specific to the the qualities of the player in relation to how they can break down the opponent. You've you've just started your A license in Canada. Saw that yeah. on on Twitter. What's the biggest area that you're looking to improve personally in your coaching? So, what what's actually happened is Jason Devos is kind of he's trying to do a different type of A license. So he'd, he'd approached me about not doing the normal Canadian A license, but doing a bespoke one. So my my way of looking at it is. I want to learn 
how to create the team culture, the team environment, prepare a team over a season to be like a head coach. So, for example, in the Canadian Premier League or the MLS, somewhere like that. So, if we take the things that I need to know about, I know about all the football things, or I feel like I know about all the football things that get stuff done in the training pitch. I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't feel like I need to do so much more than that. That's a continued evolution. The things that I need to know about are off-the-field things, leadership, conflict management, um, how you how you address a room of people who may all have varying different degrees of understanding, knowledge, their own preconceptions, how you deal with a player who's not on the team, how you deal with players who are um, unhappy or, or feeling a bit left out, or how do you create that culture of bringing in guys from eight different countries, for example, to make a team culture. Um, other things like dealing with agents, you know, what is the... What is the breakdown of buying a player or selling a player or renewing somebody's contract or um, things to do with dealing with budgets, dealing with management? How do you present yourself for an interview? How do you prepare for an interview? You have a lot of guys who are really, really talented but don't get an interview because they don't know how to get themselves an interview. But at the same time, when they get an interview, they don't know how to present it because the board are maybe going, hold on a minute, I don't want to know five million bits of information. I want to know how you're going to run the club to me because when to be successful so we make more money. So to try and get to that situation where I feel like I can do that, which right now I've absolutely no idea. Um, even dealing with like physical periodization across the season. So again, if we take the Canadian Premier League, if I was to coach a team in the Toronto area, let's say Hamilton, we have to fly to Winnipeg for a game, then fly to Edmonton for a game, then fly to Victoria, BC for a game, then fly to Halifax, and you're basically like two and a half weeks on the road. How do you do with the nutrition? So all these like little things that I have no experience or no really any knowledge of, I, I need to figure these things out. So um, the, the course for, for me is bespoke. So I'm, I'm really excited about that because... It's how can I grow to get from where I am just now to potentially being the best Scottish coach, which is a really, really difficult thing to do. So, But you need steps on the ladder. You can't just go from Burlington Bayhawks to Dundee United. It just, it's not going to happen. So there's a process to get into these sort of situations. From Dundee United to get to Arsenal, there's a process. You can't just jump from one to the other. To get from Arsenal to Barcelona, there is a process. So... You have to be successful continuously, and to, to be successful, you have to be prepared for all the things that you're going to encounter. And because of my lack of playing experience or being in football at the highest level or any level, um, I don't have the innate understanding of the workings of a football club. So I need to learn all these things. Um, and what Jason and Stuart are doing is, is creating me an A-licence, which hopefully will make me as prepared as possible for if and when the opportunity arises. If it doesn't, then at least you know, I've made the efforts to be prepared for it. If it does, then um, I think there's a quote that says, like, luck is just opportunity when you're prepared for it. Mm. So if, if people say you're lucky, then that's great. But to take advantage of the situation, you need to be prepared. And I think, like, for my A-licence, that's what I want. I know there's there's an A-licence that everybody does. It's about coaching and tactical stuff and having discussions and a bit of analysis and putting names on things. Like... That, that's not why I want to do any lessons. I want to learn. So I want to do stuff which is going to be, it's going to push me, it's going to drag me out of my comfort zone. And I'm I'm 100% sure Jason and Stuart are going to do that. Brilliant. All right, we'll, we'll finish up with a little quickfire question. 
set here 60 seconds to answer each one of these five questions and then uh, we'll jump on the webinar if that's okay Aye. you have one week to prepare to stop man city stevie what would you do initially i'd try and disrupt the build-up i'd force it down the left-hand side rather than the right i would stop de bruyne from dropping in between walker and and stones to connect the game to him to play longer passes i would try and prevent any sort of counter-attack down our right-hand side so for example if if Man City have the ball and they're trying to counter-attack, I don't want Leroy Sané getting 1v1. So when we're counter-attacking, we also have to be able to tilt the play to force it back. When we win it, the first reference point would either be right central midfield or right wing to try and play one or two touch back to goal. Back to goal is going to draw the pressure, which releases a third man in behind whoever the left-back is going to be because that's the area of weakness. It's no behind, it's no behind Kyle Walker, so you need to attack that one specific zone. In possession... Do you play in an attacking cycle, transitional cycle or defensive cycle? We have to understand and accept that they will have the ball, but we can hit them in transition. We're not going to sit and defend because we're not going to get battered. So we want to sit and hit them in transition. We want to play a chaotic, ugly game, um, almost like what Liverpool did. And then whenever we have the ball, try and make the game as chaotic and broken as possible, whether it's free kicks, corners, throw-ins, stuff that disrupts the rhythm. Just taking over a top European club, Champions League club, what's the first thing you would go in and fix between scouting, sports science, staff, transfer market players? What would you do? I'd probably assess what the average age of the team is and find out how long that team has got at peak condition and then find out uh, what the contingency plan is for players within the squad or the succession plan for players within the squad and then find out where the holes are. So, for example, if it's Real Madrid, Marco Asensio comes into the team, how do you fix the, the Ronaldo problem? Where do you fix the next long-term problem? So to try and look at how you keep the team at peak performance level year on year, because at top European clubs, you need to win year on year. You can't have a two-year building phase. So how to understand where we are in the squad and then how you can best plan and prepare for the future to make sure we're still successful. Similarly, you've just taken over a, a federation coaching. What, what would you do for the first week? You have an A-licence course. What's the first thing that you, that you want coaches to grab and, and to... To embrace, I'd, I'd like them to understand how to create their own style of play and their own system and understand all the intricacies within that. So I'd probably just give them my, my course. But um, within that, I would try and make sure that everybody understands that it's no about the session. The session is literally the last part of it. All the things that go before it, your identity, your style, your mannerisms, um, the composition of the squad, the quality of the players in the squad, which cycle you want to play in. Um, are you going to counter-press a lot? Are you just going to withdraw? Are you going to try and play in possession? Are you going to sit in a block and counter-attack? How do you put all these things together? And then how do you best make uh, a successful team out of the players that you have? And then how do you make that consistent over the long term? You've got one week off. You've got no budget. You can watch any, any team, any sport, any coach, train, get an inside look. Where would you go? I'd go and watch Messi for a week. <laughs> just for a laugh? No, I, I just I, I think that Messi's going to retire in three or four years and we need to appreciate him. I'd go and just watch Messi for a week mm. and that would be me. All right, best coach of all time? Oh, Jesus. Best tactical coach of all time, Stevie? Who's that? I really want to say Arrigo Saki. Because he, he came from nowhere and managed to 
be a shoe salesman and then turn AC Milan into the best team in Europe and a style of play which nobody else did before. So I think like Arrigo Saki is obviously a game changer. You could probably say Cruyff because he's completely revolutionised the way certain people think and act in the game. So maybe he got away from that dour, defensive, regressive style of play. So, I mean, like... One of those two. I don't want to say Guardiola because he's still not finished. And I don't want to say Mourinho because people are saying he's on his way out. But those two guys have done um, incredible things. So I would, I'd probably go down the route of, of Saki or Cruyff. But again, I'm not that old. So, mm. I mean, there might be other guys who are complete revolutionaries that I've never heard of. And last one, who would you kind of move towards, gravitate towards your style and almost use as a role model or reference point for your coaching? Probably like Thomas Tuchel. Um, my my style is a little bit towards Guardiola's, but a little a lot like Klopp. Um, I like I like chaotic style. I like to high press. I like to be in control of transitions. I like to attack teams in transitions. But the way I coach is normally very positional. So it's not as extreme possession as as like Guardiola. It's no anywhere near defensive like like Simeone or anything like that. But I, I really admire it. I love it. I think it's great. So probably somewhere like Thomas Tuchel in the in the balance of um, really organised high pressing, but also being able to play in transition, but while having a, a positional possession game. So probably probably more like Tuchel than Sari because Sari's more one touch combinations and there's an acceptance of losing the ball. Where except that I, I, I don't like defending, I get really nervous. So probably Thomas Tuchel. We'll need to do this again. Need a longer longer period with you. That was brilliant. Okay. Yeah, cool. Brilliant. Cheers, Stevie. Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much to Stevie for his time and his insight there. Like I said before we started, I think you're going to really enjoy the way that the beliefs he has on the tactical side. Obviously, his knowledge is, is different, different class, but um, the views he has on how we're going to kick the profession forward uh, is, is pretty intriguing to me. Uh, because I think that's where that's where the gold is, not just saying that you know something or that you've got a higher football knowledge than someone else. It's about how to communicate that to players or how to communicate that to other coaches. So uh, fair play to Stevie for that there. He also then jumped on a webinar for, for 45 minutes with the Modern Soccer Coach Mentorship Group. I'll cut little pieces out of that webinar and post them over the next week or two as well for you to see. But it was very, very, very beneficial to a group of young coaches that are starting to to make their tactical models and create those. And and he's almost picking holes before they even begin and showing them where they're going to struggle. And I thought uh, it was absolutely brilliant. So, a couple of takeaways for me on that there. Um, number one was his views on opinions. We always say, like again, social media is a platform for a lot of negativity in the game, especially in recent years amongst coaches. And a lot of what people say is, I can disagree with you because you are going to say something different, but I'm not really listening to it, and I'll just come counter that with. It's my opinion. It's a game of opinions. We'll agree to disagree. And and it always bugs me that there because anyone can say that. I can go to, a, I can jump in a scientific discussion with someone with zero knowledge of, of any form that they've done and say, well, it's a game of opinions. I just don't agree what you're doing. And it would just fall flat on his face. So why are we allowed to do that on the soccer platform? So I, I love Stevie's little bit there of, you know, if, if you're going to have an opinion, if you're going to criticise something, that's fine. Be, be prepared to find a solution. 
And I think as coaches, we should have that for ourselves, of course, because if that there is our philosophy, then that leads us to search for those solutions and work towards those solutions and get busy. But also for our teams, um, you know, our players are, are a, a product of society today and also have those critical views on almost everything. So if our players are, you know, are complaining about training and are complaining about anything, which they tend to do these days, uh, it's a good way to counteract it to be like this is our philosophy with the team is that if you're going to have a complaint we will listen to it we will respect it but you will counter that there with a solution um, and I think that you know that gives everyone a voice and that gives everyone respect but that also gives everyone responsibility to chime in and work towards making things better which I think would create better coaches and create better teams uh, and the second thing is you know that I picked up there was that even though Stevie is is at a high, high level of his tactical analysis and, and that side of the game. He's also looking to get better and you can see the in, intentional aspect of, of his improvement as a coach and development. So he's looking at you know the things, the culture aspect, the environment aspect, how to communicate in interviews and, and stuff like that there. And, and I think for, for someone who's operating at that level, it's easy to say, well, he's got this, he's got that. Well, he's got an unbelievable tactical nose for the game. And, Sometimes as coaches, we we use that as a bailout, you know, just because someone's good tactically, well, they must have a tactical brain. It's almost like they were born with it, when really, you know, Stevie has worked very, very hard for that, and he's also working very, very hard at the next step of his career. So feel free to interpret that as that it's grinding and that it's work and then it's deliberate practice and reading and studying and all that there that coaches should be doing. So if you want to get to Stevie's level, then... You know, spend your time with books, spend your time in games, spend your time watching videos, spend your time talking to people. And if you want to specialize in something else, apply the same principles, but with the same intensity of studying. Uh, and that's what Stevie's looking to do. So I thought it was really refreshing to hear that you know, he's, he's got other aspirations as a coach and he knows that he has to develop those skill sets as well. So very, very good. Stevie's different class. Uh, again, feel free to check out his course I've had a few people already reach out to me because I tweeted I was talking to him and they were coaches that I really respect and they're like listen I think I'm going to do his tactical course what do you think and I said definitely do it definitely do it send me your notes <laughs> but no it's something that I would I'd like to do myself so please check it out on his on his website on site soccerconsultant.com so thanks very much to Stevie and thank you for listening please before you go give us a little tweet a rating on on the Apple platform means a lot really appreciate you listening got some good ones coming up and uh, always 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 appreciate the support have a great week talk to you soon thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kernine on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com